Well, it is good to be here. I've um, appreciated so much getting to know some of you and saying hello uh, throughout this weekend. And hopefully we'll do more of that this evening. If not, um, at least hopefully you'll get some good food out of it. So um, It's good to be here. And if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Luke 4. That'll be our text. We'll be in the, the Gospel of Luke in chapter number 4. And be focusing our attention on verses 38 down through the end of the chapter. Having been baptized by John, descended upon by the Holy Spirit in the form of a dove, and approved by his Father in chapter number 3, Christ has been led by that same Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of by the devil for 40 days and 40 nights, at the conclusion of which his public ministry has begun. By the time we come to read of him here in chapter number 4, which we'll do in a moment, his fame has started to spread. He is taught in the synagogues of Galilee. He has been rejected in Nazareth, proclaiming deity, and he has cast out an unclean spirit in Capernaum. With each and every step along the way, His purpose is clear. Christ's time has come and he is about his father's business of repairing and restoring sinful, lost humanity back unto himself. And so follow along with me, if you would, please, as we examine the heart of our loving Savior, focusing our attention on verse 38 down through the end of the chapter. Luke 4, verses 38 through 44. But first, I'm going to pray. And then we will get started. Dear Lord, I thank you so much for the privilege to come and to share your word. I pray that as we look into it, as we were reminded this morning, we would not walk away unchanged, but we would we would look into the perfect mirror of your word and we would seek to to change the things that it reveals about ourselves. I pray specifically as we study this passage that we would be in awe of all that you have done for us and walk away seeking to live for you and serve you as a result of that. Give us a good evening, and it's in your Son's precious and holy name that we pray. Amen. Luke 4, 38. And he, speaking of Christ, arose out of the synagogue and entered into Simon's house. And Simon's wife's mother was taken with a great fever, and they besought him for her. And he stood over her and rebuked the fever, and it left her. And immediately she arose and ministered unto them. Now when the sun was setting, all they that had any sick with divers or various diseases brought them unto him, and he laid his hands on every one of them and healed them. And devils also came out of many, crying out and saying, Thou art the Christ, the Son of God. And he, rebuking them, suffered them not to speak, for they knew that he was Christ. And when it was day, he departed and went into a desert place. And the people sought him and came unto him and stayed him, that he should not depart from them. And he said unto them, I must preach the kingdom of God to other cities also, for therefore am I sent. And he preached in the synagogues of Galilee. Back home in Indiana, I work for a water well company. 
One of the responsibilities that I have is to keep the parts in stock and organized for our excavation department. We regularly go through large pallets of 40-pound crushed bags of what's called betonite, which is a um, pe pebble or a rock that we use to plug abandoned wells with. Okay. Now imagine with me if I tried to place a full pallet of those onto the top storage uh, the top shelf of our storage unit using only my arms or my muscles. Not only would I venture to say that OSHA probably wouldn't like that very much, I, I could work out for the rest of my life and that would still be an impossibility, right? Why? I, I need a forklift. That's an essential tool for my job. Our Bibles are opened here to Luke 4. We are presented with a similarly daunting yet undeniable reality, and that is this. Man is helpless on his own, physically, spiritually, and directionally. He is incapable within himself. And so praise the Lord, as we will observe in our passage, we serve an omnipotent Savior. For you see, because you are powerless, you must turn to Christ. I'll say that again because... I believe that it is imperative that you grasp it. Because you and I are weak and powerless, you must turn to Christ. First, we will discover three distinct areas or ways in which we are powerless today and must subsequently turn to Christ. You must turn to Christ for physical provision. For physical provision. Verses 38 through 40. As mentioned earlier, Christ has just cast out the spirit from a demon-possessed man at a synagogue in Capernaum. Afterwards, he has arose and entered into Simon Peter and Andrew, the disciples' house, with James and John, according to a parallel account spoken of in Mark chapter number 1. And here at the home, he discovers Peter's mother-in-law taken with a great fever. Oftentimes in both the New Testament as well as Jewish tradition, fevers were associated with demonic possession. It is interesting to note here that the healing we read of is both preceded as well as followed by an exorcism. Christ rebukes the fever rather than Peter's mother-in-law herself in verse number 39. And so some scholars have suggested that possibly she was demon-possessed or possibly she had contracted malaria, which was a common illness in low-lying, water-bound Capernaum. We do not know the specifics of her affliction beyond this. According to our passage, it was very great. The end of verse 38 says that they besought him for her. Matthew and Mark each tell us that as soon as he, Christ, took her by the hand, the fever left her. Immediately. Here in Luke, we, we learn that this touch was coupled with a stern rebuke of whatever it was. And all three Gospels emphasize the immediacy of her service upon being healed. Verse 37 says that after Christ's miraculous power was displayed in the synagogue by casting out the demon of a possessed man that we mentioned earlier, the fame of him went abroad into every place of the country round about. And as a result, according to verse 40, 
when the sun was setting, people started to come and flock to this house, bringing others with divers or various diseases with them also. The sunset spoken of here in Luke 4, I thought this was interesting, marked the end of the Sabbath, and thus its coinciding travel ban. So what that means is as soon as these people could physically possibly get to Jesus, they were coming and flocking to this door. Mark describes the scene as all of the city gathered together at the door. Luke places special attention not on the crowd, however, but rather on the individuals within that crowd. Look at the end of the verse. He laid his hands on every one of them and healed them. From Simon Peter's mother-in-law, right down to the very last ailing individual who was presented to him that evening, each and every case was met with specific attention and individual care. Matthew's account references Isaiah 53 and verse number 4, stating that this was all that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah, or Isaiah, saying that he himself took our infirmities and bare our sicknesses. There is perhaps no more solemn reminder of the brokenness within our human vessels than that of cancer. I don't know everyone in this room, but I think it's safe to say that it has affected many of you at some point or another, whether directly or indirectly over the course of your life. Do you remember the the first person that you really cared for and about that was affected by cancer? I, I do. Mrs. Richardson. She was my first grade teacher. One of the most fun, loving, godly individuals I've ever had the privilege of knowing to this day. There is a feeling of helplessness that arises with such a diagnosis. Why? Well, because unless you are a doctor, and sometimes even then, there is really nothing that you can do to help that individual other than give them what little words of encouragement and prayer that you can. And those do matter. But whether it be cancer or something else, when such reminders of our human frailty arise, I would encourage you, according to this passage, to turn to the one who not only cares, I'm sorry, rather, who not only heals, I jumped the gun there, he cares. (laughs) That's more important in those situations, isn't it? I'm not here to tell you today that these things will ever stop this side of heaven. That would be foolish. I'm not even here to tell you that when they inevitably do come, you're going to be able to stand in, in line at the door of a home in Capernaum and wait to be touched And healed. But I am here to point you to the one who can do all of that. He was prophesied by Isaiah of old, and his nature remains unchanged. He is still the great physician who heals. But more than that, he is still the loving Savior who cares. For those of you in need of such provision, turn to him. For those of you who have already experienced it, follow Peter's mother-in-law's example laid out for us here in this text of ministering that same grace to others. 
and the crowd's example of bringing those in need to him without delay. Man is helpless on his own. Because you are powerless, you must turn to Christ. Not only must you turn to him for physical provision, you must turn to Christ for spiritual pardon. Verse 41. Within this night of healing, it is specified that much of it is spent casting out more demons. This is met with the demon's immediate acknowledgement of Christ's divine nature. The title used here of Christ, the Son of God, parallels chapter 1 of Luke, verses 32 and 35, where the angel Gabriel foretells his birth. There in Nazareth, he was prophesied. Here in Capernaum, he is identified. Supernatural darkness recognizes supernatural light in our passage, even before humanity, causing it to cry out and confess deity. Christ, the Son of the living God, frees those who are enslaved by sin, destroying Satan's influence and power over their lives. Interestingly, Christ rebukes those devils and suffers them not to speak of his identity. At first blush, this would seem completely counterintuitive to what would be his naturally perceived plan, right? I mean, why wouldn't he want such word to get out? Terms like Son of God and Messiah, however, would have carried with them certain military as well as political pressures, which, if Christ did not avoid, had the potential to distract from his heavenly as opposed to his earthly mission. Both Roman as well as Jewish authorities would have been threatened by any language left unchecked. And so while these demons' confession was true, the vessel was inappropriate and the timing was premature. If you've ever witnessed the gospel transformation of a life, you know what a powerful thing that can be. During my undergraduate commencement in 2017, one of my fellow classmates stood forward and gave what I believe to this day to be one of the most powerful testimonies that I have ever heard. It has stuck with me ever since. I'm so thankful I was actually able in preparation for this sermon to find a recording of that testimony online. And so I have it transcribed before me here today. It says this, My name is Jason Strawn, and well, I don't really like standing in front of large crowds of people. It's kind of intimidating. But God has been very kind to me. And so I just want to testify to his mercy in my life. I'm indebted to many people, my family and loved ones who have supported me through school. I didn't know what to expect here when I came to Bob Jones University, so it was quite a culture shock when I arrived. We wear pants during the summer months, and we go to bed at 10.30. It was not my ideal college experience. And I questioned whether or not I should be here. But I stuck it out, and I sought my education. However, I found something much greater. Because God rescued me from my sin during my time here. And I say this not to praise an institution. Institutions will fail. And they will make mistakes. But I am grateful for what this institution has pointed me to. Namely, salvation in Jesus Christ. 
And it amazes me that I stand here before you so small and afraid. And yet I can stand before a holy God so small, but not afraid. Because I am loved on account of His Son. And so I came here a sinner, and I will leave a sinner. But I take with me a righteousness that is not my own. This is owing to a message that has been proclaimed for centuries and still remains true today. So where do you stand before a holy and just God? He is not interested in what you can do for Him, nor does He need your works. Because of Christ, it is finished. And it is through repentance and faith in His name that the forgiveness of sins is offered to you. This temporal life does not promise to be with us tomorrow. But the hope for eternal life still stands today. And so he invites you to come. To come now and reason together, saith the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they be red as crimson, they shall be as wool. I knew, I knew Chase well. I can confirm that his life today is drastically different from the day I first met him. We both went on to the seminary there today, and last I heard, he is actually recently married and in the process of pursuing a career as a chaplain in the United States military. So whether it be Chase or whether it be someone else, how do these things happen? The gospel. That's how. Don't ever get over the wonder of it all, dear Christian. Jesus Christ, the very Son of God Himself, stepped down from heaven into this earth in human form and lived a perfect, a holy, and a sinless life in order that He might be able to provide a perfect, a holy, and a sinless sacrifice for your sins, for my sins, and for the sins of the entire world. He died on the cross of Calvary in your place taking the wrath of Almighty God upon him and drank the bitter, bitter cup reserved for you and me. But he didn't stay dead. No, he didn't stay dead. For three days after his burial, he rose again in glorious fashion, conquering the grave once and for all so that we through him might be able to say, O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? You may never have been demon-possessed, but your salvation is no less miraculous. You have come from darkness into the light of the glorious gospel of Christ. The very Son of God Himself has set you free. You were powerless, destined for hell apart from such divine intervention and spiritual pardon. It is only as a result of this that in the words of Chase, we will be able to stand before a holy God so small, but not afraid. Because we are loved on account of His Son. For those of you who have never experienced such saving power, turn to Him for deliverance. For those of you who have, look to Him for direction, as we will see in a moment, and tell others today. This is transformative power. Man is helpless on his own. Because you are powerless, 
you must turn to Christ. You must turn to Him for physical provision. You must turn to Him for spiritual pardon. And finally, you must turn to Christ for directional purpose. Verses 42 through 44. After the previous night of ministry and healing, it says here in our passage that Christ departed to a desert place. Now Mark describes this as very early in the morning for the purpose of solitude and prayer. Apparently that privacy did not last long, however, because when a group of people discovered where he was, led by Peter, of course, according to Mark 1.36, it's always Peter, isn't it? They tried convincing him to stay due to this newfound level of fame, arguing that all men now sought him. Capernaum's positive reception stands in stark contrast to his escape from Nazareth in verse 29 of our chapter, where he was thrust out of the city, he was led into the brow of the hill, that they might cast him down headlong for simply declaring deity and denouncing their unbelief. But it's interesting to note here that it wasn't fame that moved him. Look at verse 43. And he said unto them, I must what? I must preach the kingdom of God to other cities also, for therefore am I sent. This phrase, kingdom of God, occurs here for the first of 31 times within the Gospel of Luke. And we certainly don't have time for a theme study tonight. But know this, there are both present as well as future applications in play here. The ministry and message of Christ is pointing towards a coming reality. One in which those who turn to Him will share eternity together forever. It's why He was sent. Notice what He didn't say in our text. He didn't say, I must heal more people, for therefore am I sent, even though He did. He didn't say, I must cast out more demons, for therefore am I sent, even though He would. No. What did He say? He said, I must preach the kingdom of God. Why? Because all of those other things are well and great. They they are. But they are nothing more than mere bridges towards the main thing. And that is this. The preaching, demonstration, and expansion of His kingdom. It's the only thing that gives us life and purpose in the brief time we have here on earth. I was born up in the wonderful region of New England. Conquer New Hampshire, to be exact, where my dad actually pastored a church. I think I referenced this this morning for 17 years. And as a result, I'm a big fan of all things New England sports, which I realize is a pretty polarizing association just about everywhere else we go. So please don't hold that against me. But I was saved at the age of five. I gave testimony this morning. Um, And I do believe that I was truly saved. But if I'm being honest, Sports consumed me from an early age. Just before my ninth grade year, my dad took a church there in Indianapolis where my family now resides. And I wouldn't say I was what you would quote-unquote call a bad kid, but I definitely wasn't all that serious about the things of the Lord. 
And the summer before my freshman year of college, God finally got a hold of my heart and showed me what the Apostle Paul refers to in Romans 11, verse 33, as the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. I was landscaping for a property management company on the north side of the city. It was a job that I had done for the past several years in order to make money for college, which was um, coming, coming up for me. And as a result, I was unable to join my youth group for camp that year. It was actually up here in Michigan where the teams are headed tomorrow, Camp Kobiak. Um, my brother Chad, who was six years older than me, was our youth pastor at the time. And on the way back from that trip on July 27th, 2013, there was a mechanical failure on the bus, in the bus, as it exited an off-ramp, um, less than two miles from its destination, our church, causing it to hit a median and flip in the process. And my brother, his wife, Courtney, so my sister-in-law, who was eight months pregnant at the time, with a little girl, and another sponsor lady named Mrs. Tanya Weindorf, all entered into eternity as a result that day. This, um, this happened about a month before I was due on the campus of Bob Jones University for my freshman year of college. And like Chase, I have to tell you, I really had no desire to be there um, as a result. There was a lot going on back home, but God had other plans, even though that was the case. And I learned a lot in those initial days and months after that accident. I'm still learning, of course. But there was perhaps nothing bigger in the immediate aftermath of that than the idea that we have presented for us here in this passage of directional purpose, looking to Christ. It's not as if I don't still enjoy Patriots football, okay? I do. Trust me. I do even without Tom Brady. I have by no means arrived. But I can honestly say that that is no longer my focus. Why? Well, I recognize far better now than I ever could then that there is a briefness in life and there is a finality in death. We are vapors, as James would say. Turn and follow Christ's example of directional purpose by demonstrating to others the beauty of belonging to his kingdom in word and action today. We will not think when we see Jesus that we have made too much of him. Nazareth's rejection was inappropriate. But Capernaum's desire for exclusivity was as well. This was a message that had to get out. And it still does, by the way. And so he did just that according to verse 44. And he preached in the synagogues of Galilee. Do you get it? Look around you, church. People are hurting. They are searching. Change is demanded and justice is required. I'm not sure if you realize this, but 2020 certainly brought its fair share of challenges for many. If you didn't, just hop onto your timeline. I'm sure there'd be more than a handful of people who'd be happy to share that reality with you. 
And not to be a downer, but 2021 is sure to do the same for others. And so in the midst of this Western, postmodern culture and climate in which we live, where do we find direction and to whom can we go for purpose? I trust we would never seek to misunderstand or misrepresent the gravity of certain challenging circumstances and even conversations in the world round about us. But guess what, Christian? We don't have to shy away from that. We have the answer. Seeing then that we have such hope, we use great plainness of speech. 2 Corinthians 3 and verse number 12. The living hope of Christ strengthens and emboldens us to verbally proclaim and then outwardly demonstrate to others the message of the gospel towards them that are without. This is not unique. These are not unprecedented times. Don't buy into that lie no matter how many times it is perpetuated. Mental health, social justice, human rights, the terminology changes, our response does not. Here, some 2,000 years later, our message remains the same. Its practical applications are innumerable, but the underlying basis is unchanged. If you are lost and hurting, turn to Christ. I can't imagine experiencing the trial that my family went through that I referenced earlier, or really any trial apart from this. If you are looking for answers, He has them. If you are seeking love and acceptance, comfort and understanding, He offers that. It's nice that you care. It is. What's even better is that Jesus cares. Talk about that. People will look somewhere. Let it be him. This is not a novel concept. It is basic Christian truth that sadly the church at large seems to have lost sight of under the guise of empathy, compassion, and kindness. Those are necessary. Please do not misunderstand me. They are. I'd even go so far as to call them marks of any true believer. But recognize also that while maybe not to the same degree, and oftentimes with the wrong heart and motives, the unsaved world can evidence all of these qualities also. As a matter of fact, listen to their lingo. Equality, peace, equity, clarity, impartiality. I have no doubt that many who champion such virtues are genuinely caring, loving, and compassionate people. They truly believe in the things that they promote. They do. But the simple fact remains that all of this and so much more can only be found in its purest form where? At the foot of the cross. Do you want to know what the ultimate form of empathy, compassion, and kindness is? Declaring this message. Whosoever drinketh of the water that I, Christ, shall give him shall never thirst. But the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into what? Eternal life. 
John 4.14. Google doesn't have the answer. Social media won't provide you a solution. And oftentimes, well-meaning people, even Christians, can cause you more confusion than clarity. Show them Jesus. He can be found in the love letter that we have opened in front of us tonight. It alone is our compass. He alone is our guide. Make mention of Him often. Your thoughts and your opinions and your feelings on any subject will always fall short because your wisdom is useless and vain. Praise the Lord, we don't rely on that. For even hereunto were ye called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that ye should follow in whose steps? His steps. 1 Peter 2.21 And in so following, make his mind your own. After all, what is to distinguish between your thoughts and your opinions and your feelings on any subject from the wisdom of the world apart from this? Even when it is unpopular, even when it is uncomfortable, unapologetically point towards His commandments and His desires and His conclusions, never your own. And sometimes this means pointing out hard truths, by the way. Somebody put it this way. The unique voice of the Christian is this. You're wrong and you're loved. Allow this book to mold your way of thinking in every aspect of your life, not vice versa. Make its author your identity and the furtherance of his kingdom your aim. Nothing else. Hide his words in your heart. Let their light illumine your pathway. Not only does he have the answers to all of the questions which you and I do not possess, he, through this word and the power of his Holy Spirit, is able to provide us directional purpose as well as true and lasting peace that you and I will never be able to offer. Do you believe that this book provides you directional purpose? Do you believe that it will grant you everything that you need, everything for life and godliness this side of heaven? Perhaps more pointedly, do you act like it? Do you master? Do you point to its Savior? Above all else, like Christ, do you recognize that you cannot do any of this on your own? Do you seek desert places that, where you may turn to the Father to help strengthen your frail human vessel as you go? Setting about to preach His message and never your own. I must preach the kingdom of God to other cities also, for therefore am I sent. What did he do? He preached in the synagogues of Galilee. A life of fame and fortune pales in comparison to one having been lived pursuing and proclaiming such a glorious truth, doesn't it? Look to your example, Christ. He is your hope. This is our purpose. Man is helpless on his own. Because you are powerless, you must turn to Christ. Turn to Him for physical provision. 
Turn to him for spiritual pardon. Turn and point to him for directional purpose. All other cisterns are broken. All other wells run dry. Demonstrate the beauty of belonging to his kingdom today. This life is far too short for anything less. Let's pray. Dear Lord, I thank you for your word and the truths that we find within it. I pray that as we asked you at the beginning, if there's anyone in this room who does not know you as their personal Lord and Savior, that today would be the day that they they turn to you for that spiritual pardon that we saw here in Luke 4. For those of us who are in need of physical provision or directional purpose, pray that we would look to you as well and that we would seek to not just hide that message, we would get it out, pointing others to you and the beauty of belonging to your kingdom alone. Give us a good rest of the evening and help us to honor and glorify you in all that we do. It's in your son's precious and holy name that we pray. Amen.